If there's one thing I've learned in this life, it is this. Everyone you meet has a backstory. Every person has a history full of highs and lows, celebrations and tragedies. And it's so easy to forget this when we're in our 500th meeting of the day. We forget that every face or name, if cameras are off, has a story. In our minds, we think in terms of title or power hierarchy position, right? Well, my friend, you're about to meet someone with a backstory that will take your breath away. You're about to meet the amazing Tina Tran. Upon first meeting Tina, you would immediately know you were in the presence of a badass. On paper, Tina is the director of business development, leading mobile platform and OEM partnerships for a little company you may have heard of called Microsoft. Tina serves on the board of directors at Hello Neighbor, an organization that strengthens communities by matching resettled refugee families with dedicated neighbors to help them thrive in their new lives in the U.S. She is also an advisor for Nomi Network, a nonprofit that fights modern-day slavery and human trafficking through economic empowerment programs. And in 2018, Tina graduated from the prestigious Presidential Leadership Scholars Program, a partnership between George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Lyndon Johnson, and George Bush Presidential Centers. She is one of 59 national up-and-coming leaders recognized for her commitment to solving some of our nation's most pressing problems. See what I mean? Badass. But Tina's just also a good human. But instead of telling you about Tina, I want you to meet her. So put your feet up or strap on your walking shoes. Settle in. I can't wait for you to meet the amazing Tina Tran. So many people look at women like you and they think, oh my God, of course she's a badass. Look at her. She's so accomplished. This is easy for her. And what I loved about your story is that you're like, uh, that is not how this story goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You try and you try and you try again. Yes. But you can't. So where I wanted to begin was you came to this country when you were four years old, not speaking a word of English. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So can you start there? Like, do you have any memories of what that was like for you? You know, I feel very fortunate because I even got the opportunity to come to the U.S. There's so many people that are in Vietnam where their family didn't have the means to get out and ours did. So there is some level of, you know, there's a privilege. There's a lot of privilege there. Yeah. But uh, my first memory in life is being handed over to a pirate at sea. Like, I don't remember anything else other than that. And we were on, you know, our skate boat leaving Vietnam. And back then there were a lot of opportunistic pirates knowing that people were leaving with everything they had, gold bars, you know, little jewelry, like whatever. So they would hijack boats and take everything. So they would often kill like entire ships of people. We were lucky. They just took our stuff. But the awkward moment is when you don't know like how, how bad the pirates are that are boarding your ship. Like, do they want to do harm to you or do you, they just want to take your things? And so this somehow, my, it was just me, my mom, and my brother at the time. And so they chose me, the small girl, the boat people, chose me to hand over to the pirate as like a peace offering. Holy and, shit. And they just figured like, you know, if, if he, they can be nice to a, a little young girl, then we might have a chance if they like chuck her overboard, then we're all done for, right? And so I kind of knew at that age, just either they told me or, you know, I'm sure they told me, but I, I kept it together because the pirates were frightening looking, right? Like you had long, greasy hair, big machetes, like just, Jesus. you know, these mustaches, like just like something out of Pirates of the Caribbean. 
but not as sexy. <laughs> not, as, not, as, not as interesting. And I kept it together and I smiled. And they were really nice to me. They set me aside and they, you know, boarded the ship. And, you know, at one point they shipped my brother over the side of the boat because they were trying to get my mom to give her their wedding ring. And to this day, like neither of my parents have wedding rings. Oh, I actually never wear jewelry either just because I kind of grew up with that you know, as a model and, um, and we, but we were all okay. So my, my first, that was my first memory in life. But then my, my first memories in life is growing up in a refugee camp and being there for, for nearly a year. Where was this camp, Tina? Was it in? It was in Malaysia. So we just, you know, it's just kind of wherever the winds took you. So the winds took our boat to Malaysia and we were lucky because, you know, there are other places that were less hospitable and we stayed at a Red Cross camp for 10 months while our papers were being processed to come to the U.S. But it is, you know, refugee camps are not just for families. They're for everybody can show up. So you have good people, you have bad people, and there are no doors, right? There's no houses. Like we, we had a tent encampment um, that was basically like a tarp. And so, you know, it was a, it was a very, you know, sad first experience. I was hungry a lot. Wow. I was constantly crying because I didn't have enough food to eat. My mom didn't really know what to do with that. Wow. Um, but, you know, I think there's an experience I remember that stands out. Mm. The kids stand in line every day for a cookie a day. And the parents stand in line every day for like an allotment of milk and other supplies. So that was like the highlight of my day was getting my one cookie. And you remember and that. You that's remember the that thing vividly. because it's the joy. Yeah, that's the joy that I would get from a day because I, to this day, love to eat. And um, once they put, uh, once you get your cookie, they put a big X on your hand with a marker. And I remember one day being like, I'm still really hungry and I want another cookie. So I went to the bathroom and I scrubbed the X off with like that really rough borax soap. Yeah, yeah. And I showed up with my heart like beating out of my chest again. <gasps> I showed them both my hands and I'm sure they thought all the kids looked the same. So I, like, I'm sure they didn't notice, but I didn't know that. So I got my second cookie and I sat down on the, you know, on the ground back at our little encampment. And my mom says to me, I thought you already had your cookie today. And I, I, you know, I obviously knew I was in trouble because I knew I did something wrong. And I said to her, well, you know, I did this, I scrubbed the X off and I was still really hungry. So this is my second cookie. And she looked at me and she looked at my brother, who's four years older. And she was like, I don't know about you, but she's going to be okay. Like whatever happens, <laughs> she will get fed. Like it's, you know, she's got those survivor skills where it's just like, don't ask permission, like just go and do well, that is so <laughs> profound. That lesson is so profound. And actually, that is really uh, evolved programming for a young girl to get because usually we're slapped, our hands are slapped for asking for more mm-hmm. and asking for what we need. But you got the opposite message. You're like, she's like, my money's on this one right here. <laughs> so I was, I was, yeah, I was lucky that they, that she responded that way. I've, you know, I guess. I'm driven by, we're all driven by different things. At the time I was driven by my hunger and wanting to, to have a treat. And so I think it's, it's kind of a story that shows like you, you don't have to follow the rules necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's okay to break or bend them and, you know, just do go, go out in the world and do what you want to do. And I've enjoyed doing that in my career. But the thing that that makes you so unique, Tina, I'm observing and have observed is that, and it's something that I feel the same, so I'm like mano a mano with you on this. You are someone who is ambitious, but from a place of joy. And that is so special because it's, you know, you're out there making things happen for yourself and lifting as you climb and you're, you're, you're tirelessly pursuing what's 
what's the next best evolution of yourself, but from a place of joy. And the reason I say this is that we were talking, when I heard you speak about networking, you weren't like, you know, here's how to hustle in a room. You were like, go find your tribe. Networking is just another word for finding your people. Like talk about that for a minute. I think we can turn anything into like a, a task we don't look forward to or a task we do look forward to. And isn't life much more fun and exciting when we can turn something that we might not think is fun, but it's frankly all about your attitude is, is at the end of the day and all about your energy. So being able to show up somewhere and feel in your heart that you have some goals that you set out that you are not going to be cynical about other people, right? And that you're going to be excited and meet them. I totally fall into that trap from once in a while. Being in the Valley, you're totally cynical about people because they constantly pitch like how amazing they are, <laughs> uh, right? Like it's hard not to be cynical. Like really, it's are so you sure? It's true. Um, so, you know, fighting some of those instincts and just coming in with an open heart and an open mind and being really curious about people. Part of that, what I talked about was being able to identify what you can solve what you're good at and you know how what other people are good at and being able to ask them because like part of it is unlocking in other people their joy and their excitement so that you know that's an exchange from two people that's right and that what you're talking about how it's such an energy game I really like if I know anything about the being human, it is that it is that so much of what happens to us is based on the energy we're putting out there. And do you have like, are you just naturally an optimistic sort of glass half full person? Or are there practices that you use to stay in that space of possibility and joy and goodness? Even I mean, especially right now, it's so hard to be positive, you know, like what, what is your practice or your spiritual practice or whatever it is that you do to stay in that place of possibility? I think gratitude is absolutely number one. It's so easy to look across the street and say, this person has that, this and the other, but Mm -hmm. you have to look inwards to see like what you have that's special and unique. So gratitude is number one, focusing on the good because mm-hmm. it's so it's so easy, to, especially these days, to get wrapped up in yeah. kind of all the things that are going wrong, and then feeling a sense of agency, right? So, feeling like you can make a difference, yeah. feeling like you have something to contribute, and you want to contribute, and you can lift others up, whether yeah. it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's strangers. So, having a, a combination of that gratitude, that that ability to like tap into your agency, focusing on the good, and then I think something that's important for me and everybody has their own thing that rejuvenates them. Mm. For me, it's getting outside. So I, every morning I go for a walk or a bike ride either by myself or with my son. Mm -hmm. And that sets me up in the right frame of mind and makes me feel like I've done already something during the day. I've accomplished some joy already. So whatever that joyful practices that you get, and maybe it's about being with certain people. It's about journaling, any of those things. But to me, it's, for me, it's being outside, getting some exercise, getting some sunshine on my face. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So when I heard you speak, the other thing that I found really intriguing was you talked about how you start to build yourself up as a resource, as a someone that people think of for speaking engagements and for, you know, things that increase your visibility. And I loved how honest you were. You were like, this is literally how you do it. And not enough women share that with each other. It's like we have the scarcity mindset, like I got mine. I can, there's only room for one woman on that panel and I'm not sharing my tricks. 
share with us what your sort of go-to process is for when you want to build your visibility and be the one they call to be the speaker or whatever it is. I think first and foremost, it's that gift you give yourself, which is the gift of self-confidence. Because if you don't have that, nobody's going to be calling you. You're not going to be calling other people. You won't be knocking on doors. So really identifying, do I lack that confidence and why? Or do I have that confidence and where does it come out? Like, when does it come out? And often it comes out when we're doing something we're really passionate about, um, whether, you know, whatever that might be. And we're surrounding ourselves with people who make us confident, who are supporting us, um, who are rallying for us. Yeah. So it's, it's, it starts with, with having that confidence and that, that mindset of, you know, I can do anything that Joe Schmo can do. Yeah. Because I see a lot of Joe Schmoes out there doing it. So like, why can't I do that? <laughs> it's so true. The so, Joe Schmo ratio <laughs> is high. Yeah. Right? So it's like, if, you know, if, if nothing else will give you confidence, it's like, look around and be like, see who else is doing it. Why can't that be you? That's it. That, that should be a confidence builder. And I think I asked you, I was like, well, you know, Tina, what do you do with that voice in your head? That's like, who do you think you are to pitch yourself for the speaking engagement? Who do you think you are? And you had the best answer. Tell us what you say to yourself. Oh, yeah, my answer was, I'm Tina Tran. <laughs> yes, you are, girl. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Um, and that's what I want for people. That's what I want for them to have in their hearts, right? Is yeah. I can do this. And for you to be around people that when you second guess yourself, they turn around to you and they say, uh, you're Tina Tran. And you're like, right, right, I am. So that, that's the key. It's not, it's, it's the people around us that are also giving us a certain message because mm. who we surround ourselves with is so important. It's everything. It's, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. So and it's it's not just self-driven, right? It's yeah. a it's a tribe. Yeah. And if you could look around at women in business, what do you wish more of us knew? I wish more of us knew that courage is rewarded, right? You have to and it's okay to fail because if you don't fail, then sometimes you don't learn. So failing is the best way to learn. Hopefully when you fail, you're you're learning whether it's relationships, whether it's the promotion, any of those things, and then you're changing your strategy, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. if you're working at a company where you're doing everything right and they keep telling you you're doing a great job, but they're not promoting you, something's wrong. And so your strategy shouldn't be like, what else do I need to do? Your strategy should be like, leave and find a new job, right? So it's, it's being able to really identify what's working, what's not working and have the courage to, to mix it up. Yeah. And have the courage to, to ask for what you want. You know, that was one of the key components was like, if you want to be successful, you have to tell the people around you what it is you want so that they can be a part of the process. They can help you ideate. They can put new opportunities in front of you. Because if right. you've told them that you want to do something, and then all of a sudden they're at dinner and they hear about somebody else looking for somebody that is good at that. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I have the perfect person for you. Yes. So it's kind of manifesting out in the world. What People want. want to help us, right? They do. I find though, Tina, that so many of us don't even know what it is we want. We just get on a track and we keep going forward without having that vision. Like, what am I, what is my ideal next? And we get embarrassed sharing that vision, that dream, that ambition. You know, what, what have you, what conversations have you had to have with yourself around, no, you're allowed to want something. You're allowed to have ambition. Have you ever had to have that conversation with yourself or was that like, it's always been in you? Like you're goddamn right. I know what I want. Like, 
I think sometimes we just have to reassess too, yeah. right? Because what you wanted five years ago might not be what's right for you now. And you have to reassess your priorities. And then you you check in with your tribe and say like, you know, I think I've been doing a lot of self-thought and, I, uh, and self-reflection. And I think what I want is different than maybe before. And talk talk about it, you know, in your with yourself as you journal, yep. talk about it with, with your closest people and really do a lot of self-reflection because sometimes what we want might be based on what we think other people think we want or what other people are vying for. So really identify and self-reflect. What are the things that bring me joy? What are the things I truly value? And it's okay. You know, we all value different things and prioritize accordingly. Right. Um, and we, and our values change over time as well. So giving you, giving yourself the opportunity to change your mind and not think of that as a failure either. Yeah. And then when you do change your mind, not being fearful that it's too late now to change tracks. It's never too late. Never too late. It's never right? too late. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the word ambition is a word I have been trying to make peace with for however many years I've been in this body as a grown person, <laughs> because I am so, I have so much ambition like so much ambition, but I feel, you know, I'm constantly sort of shadow boxing with that word because it's, it's got, you know, when it's a man that's ambitious, it's mm. celebrated, but a woman that's ambitious is considered, you know, maybe grabby or out for her own, you know, needs. And so I keep trying to figure out, is it the word that's the problem or is it a gender association with the word? What, tell me how you make sense of the word ambition and do you identify with that word? completely identify with it. I think ambition is a bit of a double sword, especially for women, because there's all kinds of like weird connotations that come along with that. The way I I frame the things that I'm achieving or that I'm wanting to accomplish is I think about what I want to do in life. And what I want to do in life isn't about me being ambitious. For me, it's about me wanting to achieve more. Yes. Wanting to do more, wanting to have more of an impact in the world. So I think if you reframe ambition, it's just kind of a broad word to what it is you want to achieve Mm. and to be able to lock that to the the values that drive you wanting to make that achievement, that is going to be much more meaningful to you. And when people say she's ambitious, that's fine. You can say, well, I'm I'm sure it comes across as me being ambitious, but what I really care about is achieving X, Y, Z in this area. And this is important to me because it connects to my core value. That's it. Whatever the thing is. So it's, it's ambitious is just so general. Like your ambition can be to, you know, rule the world, which is a little evil. There's all kinds of different ambitions out there. Right. So to be able to like really lock down what, what is it you're trying to achieve or accomplish Mm. or do more of, or have impact, um, that is I, is going to be something you can better communicate to the world so that they don't see it as just somebody that's ambitious, but somebody that's trying to achieve a thing, Yeah, right? Just trying to accomplish and it, something. And I love how you're lining it up with values. I think that's where, like, I think that's where the word trips people up is it sounds like it's acquisitive and it's, it's, you know, grabbing for something for the sake of grabbing for it. But when it comes from a deep-seated value that you hold dear, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I was just talking to my girlfriend who's a private chef and she's, you know, she's, she's doing all this stuff and, and raising her visibility. And she said the word ambitious and she was like, oh God, I feel kind of bad saying that word out loud. And I was like, we got to retake that word back. God damn it. <laughs> and to me, it's like ambition is about realizing your full potential. And I think that's what, 
that's what keeps me so uh, at, not agitated, but it, it's what drives my hunger for more is that I just want, I don't want to leave this skin suit not having done all the things I could have done. Like I feel chased by that concept. You know, do you ever feel like our, is part of your ambition and part of your desire to achieve, is part of it born of, I got on that boat and made it through the pirate experience. I am not, I'm not throwing away my shot as Hamilton says. Like, is that part of it too for you, Tina? I think I mentioned this in my talk is my career has been made up of exceptions. And so, you know, people are not ex necessarily expecting a lot from this person and coming over as a boat person with no English, maybe the expectations weren't so high. Like people that met me when I was younger was like, wow, you have great English. And it's like, thanks. But I've always felt like I've had my per English was perfect. It was not, not perfect at some point because I, I learned it when I was very young. Right. Um, so I, I had that, but I think it comes from knowing that I've been able to do so much with so little and so anything's possible. I, the expectations have been low for, for me. And so like, I, I might as well shoot for the moon. And, uh, and like I was saying in the talk, yeah. our biggest challenges are how we see ourselves. Yes. You know, those are the, the biggest blocks is maybe not other people or the world, but it's like the, the limits we put on ourselves. So it's, it's important to, to know what your potential is. Yeah. And, and hopefully you have a desire to Fill that, fulfill that potential. Yeah. Um, and if you want to call it ambition or something else, it's fine. But I, I like the, I like the way you phrase it, fulfilling your full potential. Cause that's yes. really what it's about. It's so yeah. upsetting when you know that there are folks out there that could, that are so good at what they do, but they're okay with just that because yes. it's what they're familiar with. Yes. And to, um, but it's also a gift that you're kind of not letting out into the world, right? Yeah, like it's a gift. So, so it's, we don't um, want to be stingy you, with our gift. Right? <laughs> that's right. Like I, yeah. I want to see the full of you like in the world, the full impact and effect of you in the world. But and I so want you to tell Tina, my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite stories that I heard was your job interview story about how your name wasn't even on the board. <laughs> and you got to tell that story. That's my like, this is like Tina Tran in a little capsule, this story. Um, so I was talking about my first job out of college. I really wanted to work in management consulting because that's what you know kids did back then when they graduated from college. Yeah. I wanted to work in New York, but I was at UCLA and the New York offices were kind of completely uninterested in anybody west of the Mississippi because they had all these great Ivy League students to choose from. But I knew that's where I wanted to start my career. So I, I bought a book because that's what we did back then about talking about what the top consulting agencies were. And I went through the book and I cold call, you know, the top 10 consultancies. And I got this woman at Cooper's and Librand. And she told me that to get to New York, I would have to first get through the LA office and that she would make sure that they interview me first. And then if I pass that, then they would send me to New York. I said, amazing. Thank you. So I submitted my resume through the career center and then I showed up the next day and my name wasn't on the board. And I was so confused because I was like, I thought we had agreed, you know, so I called her back and I said, I think there was a mistake. I didn't see my name on the board. What should I do? And she said, oh, don't worry about it. Let me, let me make some calls and I'm sure there was a mistake and we'll fix that. So I got an interview. I showed up. I was the last interview of the day and the gentleman 
sitting across from me says, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't like being second guessed. And I'm the one that took your resume out of the pile. So this is the guy that rejected you. Yeah. He's like, why is this person here? I rejected this one. I, yeah. Like, how did you get here? And I told him, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Because it was obviously I hadn't done anything to, to, to do any back maneuvering. Right. So yeah. I said, I just really want to be in New York. And they told me this was the first step. And I'm glad I'm here. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, you're, you're now in front of you. So let's, let's talk. Like, I'd love to tell you what I've been focused on, what I've been doing and why I want to do management consulting. So we had a really great conversation. And at the end of the talk, he said, okay, you're the last person I've spoken to today. And I think that we probably had the best conversation out of all the candidates I've spoken to. So I'm going to send you to New York. And I was able to make it through. And I got the job offer that that was my dream, my dream job coming out of college. And weren't you like the first person was the Mississippi to make the cut? Yeah, yeah, they were like, and they people knew me because they're like, she's the girl from California. Because I was the first person that they hired west of the Mississippi. And so they knew who I was right away. I'd be like, hi, I'm Tina Tran. I'm from California. They're like, yeah, we know who you are. Oh my God, I love that. And that actually, it, it, this is a consistent theme in your life. And I'm I'm drawing out these stories because I think so many of us, you know, if we find out that like your, our resume didn't make the cut and the guy sitting across from us is the guy that cut us, we would shrivel, we would fall apart, we wouldn't be able to come back from that. But you are like, well, we're here now, let's make this party happen. And I want you to tell the Facebook story too, because your career has been made up of this tenacity. Talk about how you came to be at Facebook. Sure. So I think I first applied to Facebook in like 2008 long time ago. And that was when I first, I got my first no. And then I applied two other times and I got two other no's and I applied again in 2015 and lo and behold, they needed somebody that was just like me that had, you know, my background. And, um, you know, the story, the reason I tell that story is we have to try and keep trying and we have to not let our egos get in the way because you could easily be like, I hate that company, screw them. Right. They don't get it, but it's not about necessarily the person that's saying no to you. It might not be the right time. It might be the right opportunity. There are all these elements that are beyond our control. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt and be like, okay, uh, don't, don't have it be about you necessarily. Yeah. And so applied again. And I got in, I interviewed with nine men. <laughs> I kid you oh not <laughs> for the role. <laughs> uh, Cause it, it was in like gaming. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, and then I, I, I got it. And so it's just a testament to it's okay to quote, feel like you failed. Yeah. Um, it's okay to get a no, but don't you weed yourself out. That is somebody else's job. And do don't not- weed yourself out. That is someone else's job. I <laughs> not yours. Tattoo that to my forehead. <laughs> but yeah, like, like that inner where I uh, was looking for the job in Europe. I was my lifelong dream is like, imagine growing up and fixed experiences, like living in a refugee camp, coming to the U S and then my, my dream was to work and live in Europe. Like, wow, wouldn't that just be crazy. And so I was applying for jobs in Europe with no international experience. And I was just, I'd only had job boards because I had no contacts in Europe and because I'd never worked there. And this was after management consulting. So I just started applying for every job that I was even slightly remotely connected to, right? If there was one bullet point that I felt like I maybe had done or could do, I would apply. And, but I applied very thoughtfully. Each resume was tailored. Each cover letter was tailored. So I wasn't wasting people's time. Right. But I was telling them why, why they should give me a shot. And this recruit back to me 
after, I don't know, months of doing this. And he said, well, you're not appropriate for this role that you're applying for, but I have this other role that I think you'd be a really good fit for. And I got that job. And I wouldn't have gotten that job if I didn't, if I had weeded myself out from the other role. So it's like, you know, just putting yourself in places and giving yourself the opportunity. And, and where did you end up moving? Out. Did you end up in Germany? Is that right? I did. And it was amazing. I, I lived in Germany for two years and then in, in London for one. And I was doing this international business development, which is what I wanted to do, getting paid to travel around Europe doing business development Incredible. and, and learning what it's like to work with so many different cultures Incredible. and having these experience, these life experiences I couldn't imagine I would have had and having now a very cool international roster of friends that are all over the world. It's a testament to identifying what it is you want to achieve yeah. and putting a plan together and being really dedicated to, to making it happen. And making time for it every day or as often as you can to nurture the dream or the idea, right? Yeah. I, I talked about how I would wake up at 5 a.m. every morning to apply to these jobs because those were like the fresh things coming off the, the job board. And yeah. I wanted the recruiters to get them in London before they left for the end of the day. Brilliant. Um, so I did that for like one to two hours every morning. <laughs> Incredible. I, you know, I feel the same way. In fact, Tina, the way I've managed my career is I'm always, you know, there's, there's a cycle to everything and the things that intrigue us and we, and bring us tons of joy. And then we sort of tap out what we're going to get out of that. And then we need to set our sights on the next thing. And same thing for me is like, if I don't have time during the workday, I get up at 5am for a few months and do what needs to be done to get that foothold in whatever is next in my life. And I just love that. I think, I think too many of us sort of fall into that trap of like, I'm so exhausted. I have no time. So I'm just going to stay trapped in this misery. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes we got to go to bed a little earlier, wake up a little earlier to make our effing dreams come true. Am I right? Absolutely. Because you can't have it all, but you can try to chip away at it, right? So you, it. But you have to make a plan. That's it. You got to make a plan. The other thing, one last thing I want to touch on, which to me might be the most important part of what I've observed about you is you surround yourself thoughtfully with people that lift you up and that remind you of who you are and that are there for you. And what I loved about your, your philosophy of networking is so powerful because you're, you know, talk about what your philosophy is. Let me, let me start there. So for me, the philosophy around networking is I know there's a it, ha it gets a bad rap. Yeah. I really think of networking as building your tribe. You know, in life, we, to be successful, to live fulfilling lives, we yeah. want to surround ourselves with the best people that love us, support us, care for us. In our careers, we want to be able to find those people that are going to support us, that are going to care for us, and who we want to care for as well. And networking isn't just about how you can help yourself. It's about how you can help other people. That's do right. not think of it that way. That's why it gets a bad rap, because there's people out there just identifying, like, what can you do for me? Yep. Nothing brings me more joy than using the people I know to help one another, to connect people that can help each other. That's it. And there was one story where, like, my network it just kind of came back to me, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without I had worked with this young man. He was on my team at a gaming company and he was amazing. I loved him, but he wasn't doing the job super well from time to time. And my boss made me fire him. So I had to let him go. God. But he knew I, he knew I was like, he knew I didn't want to, and he knew I cared for him. Yeah. So about a year later, he called me just out of the blue. I didn't even know he had my phone number anymore. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I was hello. And it's like, hi, it's me. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? And he told me that he had gotten cancer. He had testicular cancer and he only had a number of months to live. Wow. 
And I was like, wow. So I, and we, you know, we weren't super close. Like I liked him a lot, but it wasn't like, you know, I was yeah. like, wow. So tell me like what I can do to help you. And I'd like, you know, tears coming down my face because yeah. he was young. He was like maybe like 22, 23. He was incredibly young. And he said, you know, what I really want to do is I want to play Grand Theft Auto 5 before I die. And they're not going to release it until like the end of the year. Yeah. And, and what I want to do is just play the game. And that's, that's all. And I don't know if I'm going to live that long. Holy I was like, oh shit, I better get cracking. So, and he's like, I, you know, somebody told me that you might be able to like get in touch with the right people to, to like, see if this might be possible. Oh my! And I said, okay, let me go work on that and see what I can do. And I had planned this. This is the other secret to like networking is planning events. Like I had put together this gaming event because back in back maybe 10 years ago, gaming was becoming really popular and there were not a lot of women in games. I wanted more women in games, right? So I put together an event and we had like a Zenga was the host. Thankfully, they were so kind and they gave us their, their meeting space and it was like their auditorium. So we had hundreds of women come up for this, came, come up for this gaming event. And one of the women that I invited to come speak for the event, her name was Brenda Romero. She's like gaming royalty. So, um, you know, I wouldn't have met her had I not organized this. So there's, you know, there's a whole lot that comes to, to, you know, building your network. It's not just like meeting people, but being the organizer. Yes. So I, I reached out to Brenda had been several years at least since we'd done this. And I said, you know, you may not remember, we, we were on this panel together and there's somebody that I used to work with and he's dying of testicular cancer. And his one wish is to play GTA five. And I feel like you probably know the right people at Rockstar Games to put this ask out. And she wrote back immediately and said, let me see what I can do. Amazing. So all the wheels turn and Rockstar Games comes back and says, yes, we're going to do it. But this is the crazy thing. They were in the middle. <laughs> they were in the middle of their crunch to try to get their game out to launch, and they sent like their top executives to come to San Francisco. They're in New York during this crunch time, and they're de- some of their development people. And they created this day. They rented out the presidential suite at the Ritz Carlton. What? Are you kidding? I'm not. And they had Bryant invite. And I think it was like. 10 to 20 of his closest friends and family to come and join them in the presidential suite so that they can all play. Cause you know, you don't play games by yourself. And then they had the, the, the bedroom set up as like a swag store where you didn't have to pay for anything, but you could just grab whatever you wanted. My and mouth is hanging <laughs> open right now. <laughs> they hired a photographer. They had like the most amazing catering. And so they had built this really special day just for Bryant and his family. And they sent their executives out and they made it happen. And he was so joyful playing the GTA five, which is kind of funny because it's like kind of an inappropriate game. <laughs> there's totally. all this like, crazy like, stuff going like on. Yeah, yeah, but it is what it is, right? But you know, the joy that he had that day, hours and hours playing games surrounded by his friends and family, and then have, having his family have these pictures and video of that day. And they said, no media. We don't want anyone like we're not doing this. We're just doing this because if this if he is truly this big of a fan, we want to make this happen for him. And imagine the people that were all there that day, the people from Rockstar. My God. We all connected in a really beautiful way because like we were part of this really special experience. So when you think of networking, it doesn't have to be about you. It's about what you can do to help the people around you. Incredible. And, and so like that's the story that really jumps to my mind is and you know, he passed away. 
you know, he's no longer with us. And I wrote to the, the, the folks at Rockstar and so on and so forth to let them know, you know, because these things are not just about like one experience in time. It's about building these relationships and these experiences that that connect us. I mean, my first job out of college, Cooper's and my brand, I'm still really tight with like my partner, you know, the managing partner of, of mm-hmm. New York and, and of California. And like he was in the hospital this year and I went to go see him in the hospital and he hosted my uh, birthday last year at his house in Napa. Like, Incredible. you know, these relationships are, it's all about building real relationships. Yeah. It's not just yeah. networking. That's exactly right. And I remember even actually when we met through yeah. Girls in Tech, right? Yeah. I remember a woman that was mentoring me at the time was like, why are you messing with girls in tech? Those are all women so early in their careers. They're not going to be able to get you the gigs that you want. And I was like, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I like these people. These are my people. These are women I would want to spend time with and be connected to. And now fast forward 15 or 20 years and y'all are, you know, big fancy people in big fancy places. And I thank God that I listened to my own intuition around who do I want to spend time with and connect with and building a network based on joy instead of who can afford my hourly rate and building around that, which to me is has never been my jam. Like I would so much rather be with my people than who I perceive can do X or Y or Z for me. Like it's just such, there's such profoundly different approaches to networking and who is quote unquote deserving of your time. And I've always appreciated that about you. And if I could go back to our, like my youngest self, I would congratulate her for building relationships with other young people her age, because those people grow, like I was just on the phone with a client of mine who I met when I was 24 at like my first job. And we are still doing business together, you know? It's amazing. That's what a real relationship looks like. That's it. That is it. And to me, that is the secret. And I think, I wonder if some of it is, you know, a lot of women perceive networking as following like a more of a, not masculine or patriarchal version, but they think of like the Wall Street, you know, like who can I shake hands with that'll give me that? Like, no wonder we're turned off by it. (laughs) This is what networking is. What you're describing is what real networking is. It's like that girls' fun night I put together <laughs> with my girls, and we go, we eat fun. Like it, it is whatever you want it to be. That's it. ambition is what you want it to be. You know the things you achieve, you get to set the terms. Nobody gets to set the terms, so you decide. That's beautiful. I mean, Tina, I think we have to wrap it there because I can't think of any better way to close than that. Thank you so much for talking with me, and I just can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. I'm so glad we are still in each other's orbit and that we get to continue to work together. And your podcast brings me so much joy and so much, I mean, just the information that I'm getting and also sharing with others. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Ambition is what you want it to be. The things you achieve, you get to set the terms. Nobody gets to set the terms, so you decide. Oh, Tina's words are still echoing in my mind, and I hope they echo in your mind too. What shall we decide, my friends? What shall we achieve and on what terms? Mm, That is a delicious question. May we all ponder those questions with joyfulness, with gratitude, and with hope. Shine on, you crazy diamonds. I'll see you next time. And if you are wanting more, 
If you would like to join my mailing list, I send out Monday morning missives where I give you a communications tip to get you on track for the week. And on Saturday mornings, I send you a little something fun with three fun or interesting things I'm really into for the week. So if you're interested, if that sounds like something you might like peeking at you from your inbox, (laughs) head on over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe. See you next time.